thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Let's look at the word tonight. Let's just read the first verse out of Luke 18, then we'll get into it and do a little Bible study in Luke 18. 1. The Bible says, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. I want to talk to you tonight from a Bible study titled, Don't Stop Praying. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. I pray now that you would teach us from your word. Guide us, Lord. Thank you for love in this church. Thank you for the love we have for you and the love we have for each other, God. Thank you for the value of being in a church where we can know each other and love each other like we do. God, we pray now as we look to your word that you would teach us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't stop praying. I know from, been, from doing this a long time, this summer will be 35 years since I got saved. July 15, 1981. This will be 30, my 35th uh, spiritual birthday this summer. And I've been praying about stuff for a long time. And I, I'm going to let you know something that will unimpress you. If you had any impression, of, good impression about me at all, this should knock it all out for sure. But I don't think you should put preachers on pedestals. I think you should put God on pedestals. So I don't mind unimpressing you about me. I've been praying for stuff the entire time that I've been saved, and it still hadn't all the way happened yet. So you can know for sure, well, pastor can't even get his prayers completely answered. What hope do I have? Listen, it is not about our time frame. It's about God's time frame. Now, I have prayed for stuff that has happened. I've seen God do miracles. I've seen God do instantaneous healings. And I believe in the power of prayer. And I believe in the privilege of prayer. And I believe that we should be passionate about prayer. But I know that if you're in Christianity for any length of time at all, you're going to pray for stuff. And it's not going to happen on your time frame. And you're going to think it's never going to happen. It's wasting time. I have had my own son. Okay, think about this. Here's Jacob. Jacob was born in this church. Um, we started this church two months before he was born. Then he's born two years later, uh, three years later, three and a half years later, his mom gets sick. We pray for her for two years. She dies of cancer. His earliest memories are of watching his mom get sick and die while the whole church prayed. We prayed for other things in our family that haven't happened yet. And he has asked me in frustration, please don't mention this to him because I'm telling him, he has asked me, Dad, when's all this praying going to work? Now, this is a kid that's prayed every day of his life. I pray with my son every night, and he prays. He prays. I, I, I love it to hear kids pray real prayers. He prays real prayers. He prays for God to bless Jerusalem every night and for the peace of Jerusalem every night and for prosperity on God's people. Um, this is a kid that's been praying his whole life, but he has felt the frustration of, I've been praying for the same thing for a long time, and it hasn't happened. What am I saying? If you pray for something for a long time and it doesn't happen, the enemy only has a few tricks. That's why God's word says, don't be ignorant about the schemes, the wiles, the tricks, the attacks, the strategy of the devil. He's only got one bag of tricks. He can't make up new stuff. He's only doing the same thing to us he's been doing to people for thousands of years. Okay, And the thing that he likes to do when he can't destroy you is discourage you. When, when he can't stop you, he wants to stumble you. When he can't halt you, he wants to hinder you. He can't destroy someone who is saved. 
He cannot destroy you, but he can distract you, and he can delay you from reaching your destiny. And he wants to do that. He wants to do that delay. He wants to do that distraction. He, he, he wants to do it all by causing you to become discouraged, disappointed, disillusioned. He wants you to be so upset that you give up. So God told me to tell you tonight, don't ever give up. We've been coming here for how many nights? I mean, if, if we got, uh, what we got, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, plus the nights, five, minus five, 16 nights in a row praying on this ground every night, 16 nights in a row. And people praying the same thing. I know you are. I'm praying the same stuff. People have been praying for the same loved one for a long time. I've been praying for some of the same people I love for a long time. People have been praying for God to do something in their own life for a long time. I've been praying for God to do something in my life for a long time. And if it doesn't happen on our time frame, then the devil wants you to think, you're wasting your time praying, give up, pray about something else, or quit praying altogether. But here's something that you got to get in your mind. Time does not constrain God. God does not exist in time or space. God is bigger and outside of all that. And God never said that to him a thousand years is equal to a day. He said a thousand years is as a day. To the Lord. A thousand years to us is as a day to the Lord. That's not literal. That doesn't translate. That doesn't mean that two days to us is like 2,000 years to God. No, what it's saying to us is a long period of time to us is just a blink to God because God's looking at billions and billions beyond that years of eternity. So our little registration of 70, 80, 100 years on this earth is, is no time at all to God. The fact that I've been praying for stuff to, to, to unhinge out of my mind um, from, from childhood things for 35 years and I still have to deal with some of this stuff, that, that's a long time for me. That's the bulk of my life. That's the majority of my life. But to God, 35 years, that's nothing to God. It's, it's like a kid. It's like a, a, a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old. It's like a 12, a 13-year-old. They're just panicking. When am I going to be old enough to drive a car? When are they, they, How long? This school year's taking forever. No, it's not. It goes by like that. Talk to somebody 60, 70 years old who's seen their children and their grandchildren raised, and they'll tell you, they were babies, and what, Hugo? Then they're grown, and they're, they, they're doing their own thing. And it goes like that. When you get some years on you. But when you're so internally focused on your own pain, when you're so internally focused on your own deal, when you got you in your head so much, you're thinking, oh, my God, this is never going to happen. I've been praying for this thing for so long. Listen, our long is not even God's short, okay? So it, God is not working on our timetable, and we got to get that. And we've got to have a determination that says, I won't give up. One of the things, and I can tell you lots of bad stuff about me. I can tell you lots of bad stuff about my mom. One of the really good things I can tell you about my mom. She is the most stubborn, strong-willed, never-bend human being on the planet. She, I, if she said, we used to laugh. When that show Survivor came out, and they would have these challenges and get kicked off the island or win prizes, and they would have, literally have stuff like, Keep your hand on this stump and be the last one with your hand on the stump. 
And there would be these limited thinking people, and they'd say, hey, I was thinking about, oh. And, and me and my mom would laugh and be like, we would have our head on that stump. We would be standing in piles of feces and urine. Three years later, our hand wouldn't move. We, would, we wouldn't fall asleep. We would, and, and that's just how we are. We are a don't quit, stubborn, strong-willed bunch. Now, Dina didn't get all, Dina got all the sweet, loving kindness uh, and, 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 and inside of that. But, you know, she doesn't give up either. That's why she's still here after all these years. So it comes easy to my side of the family to don't quit. And my kids have been told their whole life, what, what I was told by coaches in my life, that, that winners don't quit and quitters don't win. And you keep at it. And you just, keep, you just keep running in that hole. You just keep hitting that hole. You just keep hitting that hole, and you just keep going, and you just keep, and you never, ever stop. So that's ingrained in me. So this part of Christianity is easy for me. But some people aren't as belligerent as I am. Some people aren't as stubborn as I am. Some people aren't as strong-willed as I am. Some people just give up at anything. And so I want to tell you tonight, don't quit praying. Don't quit believing in what God is able to do just because you, in your short little glimpse of a life, which the Bible says appears for a moment and it's gone, it's just a vapor and it vanishes on God's spectrum of time. Don't, don't think that your long time of praying has been so much that you just may well cash in your chips and give up. No, don't give up. Let's listen to what the Word says in verse 1. The Word says, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Now, in other translations, it said Jesus told a parable. It's a story. A parable have been said by people to be an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's an okay description. It really comes from the Greek word parabole, which means to lay alongside and compare something. So it's, it's looking, it's first natural, then spiritual. It's just like Jesus taught all the time. He spoke in parables. And one, one verse says, he, he spake to them in parables, and he did not speak to them in any other way. He always taught first natural, then spiritual. He'd tell heavenly stories. He'd talk to farmers about farming to try to get them to understand spiritual truth. He'd tell these earthly stories to try to help them understand the spiritual side. And he even told Nicodemus in St. John's uh, Gospel chapter 3, that if you can't understand the natural stuff, you really never understand the spiritual stuff. So you got to be able to pick up on these stories. So try to pick up on this story with me tonight. He said he taught them a story to show there was a purpose. Say purpose. Jesus always has a purpose for what he's doing. And his teaching is always precise and purposeful. And he's teaching them. He's, he's explaining this. He's telling this parable. He's telling them this story. To show that they should always pray and never give up. Give up. So I love the fact that he exposes the purpose in the beginning. Because sometimes he told these really long parables and they were just scratching their head and they're like, no idea what he's talking about. Did y'all get that? If, if, you, if, you, if you don't eat of my blood and drink of my flesh, what, did you understand that? Uh, if, if, is he sowing seed and, and wayside and thorny grass? Did you, what is, who is that? And he told these long parables sometime and didn't give them the explanation till later. And if you read the gospels, you'll find out and it'll say, and later that day, the disciples asked him privily, Lord, what meaneth thou the speaking of the parable? And then he'd explain it to them. 
well, I like that in this one, he gives up the goods right up front. The meaning is always pray and never give up. Let me see if you're awake. Let's take a test tonight. It's Bible study. Uh, the, the meaning, the purpose of this parable is that they would always pray and never give up. So what's the purpose of the parable, church? That's the purpose that God has for this passage of Scripture being in the Bible. He wants us to always pray and never give up. How can I know that? Because he wanted them to always pray and never give up, and he never changes. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he doesn't treat one person different than another. And if that was his plan for them, it's his plan for us. So let's go on in verse 2. It says, there was a certain judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. All right, now we're getting into this parable. And if you've been in Abundant Life for a long time, you know we're a teaching church. And I'll try to do what the Bible says Ezra did. I'll try to read the scripture and cause it to make sense. I've told you many times, if you've listened over the years, that usually a parable has how many points? One. Say one. That's it. Here's where people mess up in a parable. They try to say, okay, there's a certain judge. Okay, all right, well, because... These things are representing things. These natural things are representing spiritual, so people try to over-spiritualize it. And they say, okay, well, I wonder who the judge is in this parable. Uh, okay, then there's a certain city. I wonder if it's a northern city or a southern city. I, I wonder if, if, it's, it's, if it's a tribe of Israel or if it's a Chaldean tribe. Uh, what is it, a modern city? Is, is it representative? Listen, don't overanalyze parables. He already told you what the point was. I mean, we're just, back, we're just getting background information. We're just getting added, uh, expounded upon information that we should, never, we should always pray and never give up. Okay, that's the whole point. Don't get lost trying to figure out who the judge and who the city is. I'll give, you, I'll give you some of that in a minute. But he said, who neither feared God nor cared about the people. That is the part where theologians hang on right there. Because this is talking about God. God is the judge in this parable. But how do, you, how do you put together that our God doesn't care about people? What did I tell you? Don't overanalyze a parable. It all doesn't work like that. Some of it is just filler. Now, listen, men, we understand this. Ladies, not so much. Okay? Because if, if, if me and Deacon Jimmy are talking and I say, dude, you are never going to believe what I saw on the drive into work today. Do you know what he wants me to tell him? What I saw on the drive into work today. You know what I'm going to tell him? What I saw on the drive into work today. Now, if a woman, possibly his wife, was to say, baby, you're never going to believe what I saw on the drive into work today. You know what he wants her to tell him? What she saw on the drive into work today. You know what she's going to tell him? Everything. <laughs> Baby, do you know what I saw on the drive into work today? No. And it may, he wants to be a good husband. They're about to have to, you know, reunited and it feels so good. Uh, who that? Peaches and Herb? Uh, I don't know. But they're having their first night alone as a married couple. And he, he wants to be a good husband and listen. So he's locked in. And I've already taught him all the tricks I know. Scrunch your teeth. Bite the inside of your cheek. Try to stay awake. You know, pinch yourself on the thigh. Or pinch yourself on the Try to keep your mind together. Just focus, focus. Keep telling yourself she's going to land a plane eventually. And she's going to say, baby, you never guess what I saw on the way into work today. He's going to say, oh, honey, well, what? Tell me because, I, you know, I want to know. I'm concerned with your life, and I love listening to you. And, and she's going to say, 
Well, I was on my way into work today. Well, you know, the cat didn't have the bowl out in the, in the kitchen today. And so before I left the house, I had to go. I couldn't find the bowl at all. And I went all across the yard. And do you know that Andrew had left a bicycle back there three years ago? You remember the red bicycle that we got when, when we were down in Orlando that one weekend? And do you know what Jimmy's thinking the whole time? Woman, well, if you don't tell me what happened on your way into work today, I am just going to stand up and walk out. She's not finished yet with the cat bowl story because she's got to get back to being in the car. So I, anyway, I put the bicycle up. I'll, t- I'll tell you about the bike later. But uh, so I, I, I went in the car. Well, before I got in the car, I had to go back in and change shoes. You know I put on a red shoe and a green shoe. I don't know what I was thinking, baby. But I had on my hose. You know the hose that we got at the mall? And, and am I right, Hugo? It's how it goes. We, we know this how it goes. And, and nine and a half hours later, she's going to tell him, listen, Thank God Jesus is telling this story. It ain't going to be nine and a half hours later. And every part of this story is not to be analyzed. It's about landing the plane when it comes to a parable. Listen, men get parables. Women struggle along with us. Catch up to speed. How can God, because the judge is represented in this parable by God, because some of this stuff you have to figure out who the parable is talking about. So there is a judge, and it's God. But does our God care about people? Yes, he does. Every part of the parable cannot be spiritualized and don't get hung up on it. And there are thousands of commentaries written explaining why God didn't fear God or care about people. And that's not the point at all. Neither is the cat bowl, the hose that she got in Orlando, or the three-year-old bicycle stuck in the backyard that she was trying to find a cat bowl for. So move on, say move on. Verse 3. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. All right, so the judge is representing who? I've already told you. The woman is representing Christians. So the woman is representing who? So the woman goes to the judge and asks for something. Are you following me? Christians go to who and ask for something? It's talking about prayer. So this is the parable that we're following. You're doing good. She goes to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. There are thousands of commentaries, thousands of wasted reams of paper written about why the Christian has to repeatedly ask a God whose name is justice for justice. Let me tell you something. It's not the point. It's not the point. You don't have, well, why wouldn't the judge give her justice up front? That's not the point. Say, move on. So look, look at verse 4. The judge ignored her for a while. Thousands of reams written. Commentators with multiple doctorate degrees explaining why God ignores his. God has already said, I incline my ear to the prayer of my children, and my ear is open to your cry. The psalmist said, I called on the Lord, and he heard my cry. This looks like, if we take it literally, that the judge, God, is ignoring her, the Christian, while she talks to him. Is that true about our prayer? Then why does the parable say it? Because that's not the point. Say that's not the point. It's not the point. He, he, this is a story. Jesus trying to get him to understand something. Here comes the point. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people. Now, we already broached that issue. And commentators go right back into explaining how the God of heaven 
can fit this, but that's not the point, so say move on. Look at verse 5. This woman is driving me crazy. Okay. Now, if you are going to refuse to listen to what the anointed teacher of this church has told you repeatedly by getting hung up on every aspect of a parable, and if you're going to try to assign character to every aspect of a parable, you're going to have to wrestle in your mind with why do praying people drive God crazy? Okay, because if we're going to take an assigned value to every part of a parable and say it all has to be understood and explained and refuse to believe that Pastor Scott knows what he's talking about when he says Jesus is only making one point and it doesn't have anything to do with the rest of this stuff, it's just a story like the hose, like the bowl, and like the bicycle in the backyard. That's not the point. The woman is driving the judge crazy, and he says, I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Now, if you're going to ignore my good teaching and try to over-spiritualize every parable and try to assign value to every part of this parable, you are going to have to watch your prayer life and wonder, I wonder if I'm driving God crazy with my requests yet. I wonder if I'm wearing God out yet. I wonder if I'm burdening God with continuing to berate him yet. That's not the point. So let's move on to verse 6. Then the Lord said, as Jesus pops out of the parable. The parable's over. And Jesus says in present day tense, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Well, how can this unjust judge be God? Well, there's millions of books, millions of commentaries, not millions, but hundreds written on how, how God assigns value as this unjust judge. But that's not the point. He's saying learn a lesson. Here's the lesson, verse 7. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. Oh, even he did it. Okay, so now we see it's metaphorical. Now we see it's not literal. We see it's something that he did, and it's going to be contrasted by, by what a real God does. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Does that mean we have to wear God down with our prayers? Well, if you try to ignore my good teaching and spiritualize every part of this parable, you got to drive God crazy with your constant request. you got to wear him down so he'll finally give you the answer that you want. But that's not the point. The point is... Jesus said, if even a sinful judge, a human being who doesn't even care about people, will give in to the request, the sincere request, the sincere heartfelt not giving up request of a woman who is consistent and persistent, surely the God whose name is Justice. Surely the God who does love people. Surely the God who cares about and never gets tired of his people will give justice to those who cry out to him day and night. Now, this is not a parable. This has to be taken literally. This isn't assigning who's the judge and who's the city and who's the woman. This is God's chosen people. Hopefully that's us. Say us. They get... What they pray for if they meet the condition. And this is where Christians blow it all the time. They, they want to, they, I told you, this whole speak it stuff, 
I heard a dude on, on, on Facebook today talking about, you know, he's declaring stuff and forming his worlds with his reality. And I'm thinking, well, why are you asking for money? Why don't you just speak money? You know, I mean, if you got it all like that, he, he going off on this wild tangent say, saying that he can do everything. Listen, the one that can do everything is God. You just, can't, you just can't stand in the mirror and make your positive confessions. Nothing wrong with positive confessions. Get your mind right. Nothing wrong with speaking the word. God told us to do that. But you got to understand the result is up to God. I said it so it has to happen. No, it doesn't. I, say, I speak everybody in this room will sprout wings off their backs tonight and turn into dogs with wings. That's not going to happen. I said that in a church one time. A lady ran out screaming. Loose him, loose him, loose him, devil. I bind that, I bind that. I saw her again sometime later. I said, uh, see, it didn't happen to you. She said, because I cast that down. And just, oh, so your magic spell was stronger than my magic spell. Your, 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 your incantation overrode. Listen, it doesn't work like that. Stop listening to bad teaching on TV. It's not, the result is up to God. Do you believe that? But God is just. But we have a requirement to make beyond just saying, well, I prayed for it. All right? Read the word carefully. The word is specific. I love that about the word. I, I would try to say that I love the specificity of the word, but that's too hard to say on the fly walking around in a church full of people. But the word is specific, and it says not just people who pray, but people who cry out. That's different than getting on your knees, running through the same mumble you run through every night. We've heard our kids do that, right, Alyssa? That's how, that's how kids can just run through the mumble, get it out. That's, that's not crying out. That's not heart. All right? Now, if this woman of God knows her child well enough to know when her child is just praying through the motions or when her heart is connecting to God, don't you think God in heaven knows when we're really connecting versus just mumbling it out? It's not just about reciting some prayer that you say every night. This is about a heart cry. Say heart cry. When your heart cries out to God. But that's not all. No, no, no. Stay there. There's, there's more here in this verse. Your heart's got to cry out to him day and night. Well, now we've entered into a whole new arena. Now we can all stop blaming God for not answering our prayers. Now we can all stop saying God's not moving fast enough for me. Now we can all stop saying, I'm not sure about prayer because I've prayed so many times and it hasn't come to pass. Okay, well, in all that praying, where's your heart really crying out to God? Well, your heart can't cry out to God with dirty hands. The Bible says that. The Bible says God doesn't hear the, the prayers of somebody who's holding sin in their heart. All right? So you're really not having your heart cry out to God. Your mouth is talking to God. When your heart cries out to God, you've purified your hands and you've cleansed your heart because there's an approach to God. The approach to God now is still seen through the approach in the tabernacle. you got to stop at the brazen altar and you got to wash your hands before you can go into the temple. You, 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 you can't cry out to God from a distance in the back row uh, in the middle of your mess. But when you get your mind and your life right and centered on God and you cry out to him and you do it day and night, day and night. One of the greatest pieces of a long love song ever said, I only think of you on two occasions, right? That's when? Day and night. That's, that's sexy right there. I don't care who you are. But that is when you need to think about praying two times. You only need to think about praying 
on two occasions. What is it? Day and night. When you start praying day and night, when you start crying out from your heart, I mean bawling. If you have never been in prayer, snot streaming, can't get you. It, when, you, when you get there day and night, let me tell you what, what it, it, it's hard enough to get to that breakthrough prayer, you know, once a week where you just really have that good snot in prayer. Twice a week, you get real spiritual. Three times a week, you get on top of things. But when you get to the place where you're doing this day and night and your heart is so focused on God and you're crying out to him, why, why would you cry out to God? Because you know he's the only one that can do it. Why would you cry out to God? Because you've exhausted your efforts and you know that no matter how much you name it and claim it, that ain't doing nothing. And you need the only God that lives, the only God who answers by fire to step in and fix something. When you really begin to just wail out to God because you so desperately need him and believe in him and you've got to have what you're asking for and you do it day and night and night and day, and day, and night. This isn't I prayed for my son to get saved, and he ain't saved yet. Well, you still living. What did Jesus say? Don't quit praying. So what do you got to do? Day and night. Here's the problem. It's hard to get emotional when you're bitter. It's hard to cry out to God about stuff you're bitter about because you've already given up on it. You've already made your mind up on it. You've already boxed God out. You don't believe it's going to happen anyway, so you're not really crying out. You're just going through the motions. So what do we got to do? We got to get our mind right. We got to fix it in our head to believe that God can do what he said he can do. And he said he can do more than we could ask or think. So if you've got enough mental capacity to ask for it, God's got more than enough ability to do it. But you've got to cry out. You've got to be more than sincere. You got to be more than desperate. You got to realize that if, if God doesn't come through for you, nothing is going to work. And you got to be that way day and night. I'm going to tell you something. It's hard to be that way day and night. It's hard to sob over the same stuff every day. Why? Because we're human beings and we get hardened and we get calloused and, 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 and we get doubtful and we get distracted and we get discouraged. And then we find ourselves, truth be told, there's people in this room that have children that, that, they, that they mothered, that they fathered, that they ain't called their name to God today. Or yesterday, we want to be honest, or the day before, right? Thank you. I'm telling you, this is the truth. Why? Because we've prayed for them so many times, we just assume, well, I prayed for them already. If it's going to work, it's going to work. Now, that's not the formula. That's not the teaching. That's not the God of the Bible. That's your brain. You got to get off you and you got to get on to God. We, we, we can't approach God our way. We got to approach him his way. And it's not I've prayed for him already. And, I, you know, how many times do I have to pray this prayer? Always, day and night. Jesus said don't quit. You should always pray and never give up. How should you pray? By crying out. How often should you do it? Day and night. Jesus said, man, if you think, a, but the point he was making is that an evil judge will get tired of some nagging woman coming to him every day, bothering him about ruling in her favor. And he'll finally just bang the gavel and say, I award you the case. Stop coming to me. 
He's not doing that out of love. He's not doing that because he cares about her. He's just doing that because she was so determined. And the point is, if we would have half that determination with a God who already loves justice and a God who already loves us and a God who already wants to give us the things that we're praying for, Jesus says rhetorically, will he keep putting them off? And the answer is no. If you truly come to God and you cry out for it in desperation and in belief and in faith that he can and nobody else can, and you do it day and night and you, don't, you keep doing it, what Jesus said in verse 1, and you don't give up, he's not going to keep putting you off. All right? We're wrapping up. Inference. Talk a lot about inference here because you've got to understand keys to interpret Scripture. And if you don't understand inference, you're never going to understand Scripture. Because a lot of things are said plainly, but even more things are inferred. All right? Will he keep putting them off? Okay, well, it's a rhetorical question. The implied answer is, no, he will not. He will not what? He will not what? He will not keep putting them off. So what does that infer that the just God who loves people has been doing to people who've been crying out to him day and night? He's been putting them off. He has been putting you off. You're like, I don't like that, and I'm not going to pray to him anymore. Well, good luck. You know, try, try, you know, another religion, die and go to hell forever. This is the only one getting you to heaven. And you got to go by these rules. You don't get to make it up as you go along. So if you don't like the rules, jump ship now. He won't keep putting you off. So what does that infer? That he's been putting us off. Now, that's discouraging. That stinks. That's hard as a praying person. That is hard to know you have cried out, and you have cried out day and night, and you have been sincere, and you have begged God in realness, and, and you have been sincere about it as you can possibly be, and it still hasn't happened, and you've been doing this day and night, and, it, and, and you know you've been put off. Listen, don't get the wrong perspective. Don't let that distract you. Don't let that discourage you. If you've been put off in a prayer, I got good news for you. You passed the test of getting your answer. Because until you've been put off in a prayer, he can't stop putting you off. Y'all not hearing anything I'm saying. Until he has kept putting you off, you are not ready to get your answer for your prayer. Until you have been put off and put off and put off. You're not in the position. What is the position of the person who gets their prayer answered? The person who's cried out day and night and who has been put off. But the promise of God is that he won't keep putting you off. I'm preaching better than y'all staring at me. Let me finish. God help me. Verse 8. I tell you, comma. This ain't the preacher's word. This ain't mom and them's religion. This ain't some good book off TV. Jesus said, I tell you. He's telling his disciples that have seen him raise the dead this. He's telling his disciples that know that he is God in the flesh. He said, I tell you. Stop worrying about not understanding my parable right now. Stop worrying who the judge was. Stop worrying who the city was. Stop worrying what night and day is and what your qualification is. But hear what I'm saying. He will grant justice to them quickly. All right. Now, if 
Andrew punches you in the shoulder. And I say, give him a decent punch. Not your hardest punch. Not your softest punch. Just give him a quick jab with a little sting to it. He's going to try his best. But then if I wander over to the other side of the row and I tell his dad, Deacon Jimmy, go get that boy a little quick punch and put a sting on it. There's a relativity factor going on here. See, what, what's, what's the average punch to Andrew like a mosquito or a gnat? Right? Compared to what an average, you better say, man, he, I mean, you got to deal with this man. But what an average punch to his daddy is, half power, it's going to hit you like a freight train compared to his, am I right? You, 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 you gonna, you're gonna bring, he's going to bring a little more, isn't he, Nancy? He's going to bring a little. Listen, it's relative. So what might be loud to you doesn't really matter when we're being concerned with what's loud to God. What might be a strong punch to you doesn't really matter when God is the one making the ter- determination. What am I saying? What looks like quick to you is not relevant. It's quick to God. The promise is, if you've cried out day and night in desperation and faith, knowing that God's the only one who can, and you can't do anything without him, if you've done it day and night in sincerity, and you have been put off and put off and put off and put off, you're standing in the position of blessing, because the promise is, he's not going to keep putting you off, so you know you've done your part, is, is what Zig Ziglar told every salesman. Every no is one step closer to a what? So the good salesmen are like, and sales managers, man, they tell these lies to people, try to pump them up. Well, you ought to be excited to get those 15 no's because then you know after 15 no's you're going to get a yes. you got to get put off and put off and put off. It positions you the longer you've been being put off to know i got a promise from God. He's not going to keep putting me off. Now, he might keep, he might keep putting uh, Alyssa off. Because maybe she ain't been put off long enough yet. But if you've been doing it long and strong and day and night and sincere, you're in the, you're in the front, of the front of the line now because he can't put you off forever. He promised that. He can't keep putting you off. He can't put you off, but he can't put you off forever. He promised that. And he is going to grant you your justice quickly. Now, here's what I want you to believe. God is smarter than we are. He knows when the time is right. And it doesn't have to feel quick to us. I'm going to tell you what. We get an average punch from Andrew. We get an average punch from Deacon Jimmy. Mike Tyson walks in the room and says, get an average punch. You better sit down. Because his average punch is going to be at a whole different level. It's relativity. And it's not based on our perception of time. It's based on God's perception of time. And his timing is right. People don't believe that. It's, it's like when Lazarus was dead. What did his sister say? Jesus, if you'd have just came sooner, he wouldn't have had to die. But now it's too late. Because the Jews believed after that the body, the spirit hovered over the body for three days. But after three days of dead, there was no chance of resurrection because the spirit left the body and he could not. And Jesus waited specifically to break that bad theology. He waited till the fourth day so everybody would think, can't happen now. Because everybody knows after three days, the spirit leaves the, the, the physical realm and never comes back. Well, God has a timing for everything. How do I know that? Because he told us that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. 
He said, to everything, there is a time and a season and a purpose. Why, why, why aren't your children saved yet? God's got a purpose. I don't understand it. He never told you to. Ours is not the reason why ours but to do or die. We're not here to ask questions. We're here to obey. Why, why haven't my finances turned around yet? Because it's not time for you yet. Well, I've been doing it for a long time. God said he'd do it quickly. He is going to do it quickly. His quickly. He isn't going to put you off forever. His forever. He's going to do it. <laughs> and then Jesus knows. If you didn't listen to Pastor Scott break this down for you in such emphatic detail, you might get to the point where you're like, well, man, if I got to keep getting put off and I got to do it day and night and I only pray every other day, I don't even need to pray. How, how am I going? And then you're going to get all discouraged and say, maybe I'll never get in the front of the been put off line long enough because I don't pray that much. And that's when Jesus said, well, because he knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to go away. He knew he was going to be gone for thousands of years, and he knew he was going to come back. He knew people were going to be teaching these verses for thousands of years, and people were going to be discouraged and distracted in prayer. And so he said this to them. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? How many people are going to believe this for any length of time? How many people are going to keep praying? What would he say in verse 1? Keep praying and don't quit. Because you're not going to get put off forever. You're going to get put off for a while. you got to cry out day and night, and you got to keep doing it consistently. And you got to mean it with all your heart. And he knows what people are saying there. Like, well, if that's the criteria, I can't do it. And that's why he says, but how many will even find faith when he comes back on the earth? Here is my final question to you. Do you have faith to believe? These eight verses of Scripture. Do you have faith to believe what God said? Put verse 1 back on the screen for me, I dare. Jesus told this whole story for this purpose. I want you to always pray and never give up. When he said, is anybody even still going to be believing this when I come back? What was he talking about specifically? Because the Bible is a contextual book. He was talking about. Praying without giving up. Are you going to really believe that that works? Are you going to happen for thousands of years? What did Israel do? Israel sang songs for thousands of years in slavery. Our deliverer is coming. Our deliverer is standing nigh or coming nigh. Our deliverer is coming. They believed that for thousands of years in slavery, and it was ingrained in them, and everything in them said, Our deliverer is coming. But the weak and the quitters said, You've been saying that garbage. For thousands of your deliverer, you are a slave, you are a nothing, you got nothing, you never had nothing, you're never going to have nothing, and you keep saying this, listen, you can, you can give in to the boo birds. You, you can buy into the haters, because they're always going to be haters. They're always going to be people who try to destroy your faith. But can you have enough faith to believe that when Jesus said you should always pray and never give up, that that's what you should really do? Or are you going to use your rationale and say, I prayed a long time, it didn't happen. When's this prayer stuff going to kick in, Dad? 
the Israelites prayed for thousands of years waiting on Messiah. The sad reality is they're still praying 2,000 years later waiting on Messiah. But they believe he's coming. and They don't doubt it. Do you believe that what Jesus says is true? Last verse and we're done. And this verse is probably the second most talked about verse that I preach behind only Hebrews 11.6. Galatians 6, 9 says, so let us not get tired of doing what is good, period. Let's go with inference. It's Bible study. You got to use your brain. Why would God say let, let's, okay, let's is a contraction for what two words? Let us. Who is us? Christians, okay. So let us, Christians, not get tired of doing what is good. Why would God tell Christians to not get tired of doing what is good? What, what is being inferred? We get tired of doing good. We get sick of it. We get cast down with it. We throw it back in God's face. I've been hanging on this for how long? I've been praying on this for how long? I've been tithing on this for how long? I've been believing on this for how long? Well, he said, don't get tired of doing what's good because he knows we get tired of doing what's good. But then he said in the next sentence, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if, say if, here is the condition to this promise. And most of God's promises are conditional. You cannot walk in this promise as a quitter. You cannot reap a blessing as a quitter. Why? Because all the PAL football coaches in Jacksonville told the truth. Winners don't quit, and quitters don't win. And they learned that from the Bible. You can't get a harvest of blessing by giving up. You get a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. We Christians, we get a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I love it. Tabitha had a great testimony tonight about something she wanted to see happen, and now she's seeing it happen. She didn't give up on it. Well, fortunately for her, she you've been saved six months. In the first year of her salvation, she just got saved in this past year sometime, and fortunately for her, God's grace just outpoured on her, and she didn't have to wait the 35 years some of us have been waiting. Okay? You got to try not to be bitter, right? I ain't telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. Listen, I see the looks on faces. I've, I've watched when Alyssa uh, will testify about getting job increases and raises and thousands of dollars just flooding in. Deacon Jimmy will testify about paying a tithe and an extra $20,000 just manifest. I see the looks on people's faces when, when, when good godly people give testimonies. You, you, do, you, do you think I see rejoicing for their blessing? No. Well, that's all good everything, but when mine coming in, when I'm going to get me me. When my ship going to come in? Well, what do you got to do? You can't give up. And you can't get tired of doing what's good. I'll tell you what's good, and I'm going to let you go. What's good is what God says. Not what we think. 
Not what makes sense to us, what God said. Jesus is God. He made that clear. That's why they crucified him. That's why they hated Jesus, because he stood up and told religious leaders, I am God. They didn't like that. We wouldn't like that today. If somebody standing up in Jacksonville saying, I'm God, we'd hang him too. Listen, I feel sorry for those people in that day. We'll talk about it later. But Jesus said, always pray and never give up. Do it day and night. Do it with all your heart. Cry out. I know I've put you off. I've been putting you off. But the promise is he's not going to keep putting you off forever. He's not going to keep putting you off forever. You keep wailing. You keep crying. You keep begging. You keep pleading. You're not going to drive him crazy. That's not the point. You're not going to wear him down. That's not the point. The point is if human beings can do something for to give to somebody they don't even care about that asks them over and over again, how much more is God going to do the right thing for you? If you refuse to get tired of doing what is good. See, it's hard to get tired. It's hard to not get tired. But as long as you get tired and let God refresh you and you don't give up, you can stay in this verse. Because you're going to get tired. But you can't give up. Well, you can, but you can't be blessed and give up. So the whole point back in Luke 18, 1, when Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. I hope that you've been praying for something for a long time that you haven't gotten. Because until you get to that place, I can't promise you that God's going to come through for you. He might. He might do you like Tabby. He might just jump in, bless you right out the gate. Or he may make you just sit there and wait. Is that fair? Well, it ain't about what's fair. I don't want what's fair. Fair is hell forever for Scott. That's what I deserve. I'm not looking for what's fair. I'm looking for what God says is right. You will reap a blessing at just the right time. God's timing is perfect. Your answer to your prayer has a process. You do the process. You make sure you're doing your part. Because when you do your part, see, God's conditional promises are if and then. If you do this, then God will do that. And like I've told you before, I'll tell you again. If you do the this, if he always does the then. If you'll cry out day and night, if you'll be sincere, if you'll do it in desperation and true faith, after he's put you off for a while, maybe a couple of months. I was praying for this very request for a couple of months. Boom, it happens. Maybe he'll let you wait 35 years. But here's what I've determined, and I want you to ter- determine this with me. Usually when a preacher says, I'm done with this, he don't mean anything, but I am done with this. I want you to make the same determination tonight that I have made in my own life. The answer to Jesus' question that he asked, not in parable form, but when he came back to talking to his disciples in straight words, is anybody even going to still be believing this stuff when I come back? I am. Miss Irene said, me too. I am, right, Jimmy? I am. Others aren't. 
People used to come to church. You couldn't find them with a search warrant right now. FBI, IRS couldn't track them down. And IRS got Capone. People used to come to church. Boy, what happened? They fell out. They quit doing what was right because they thought their blessing hadn't come. But they didn't wait long enough. They didn't endure long enough. They didn't stay long enough. They didn't keep doing the right thing long enough. And Jesus knew that was going to happen. And that's why he said with pain in his voice, and if you read the Greek context, you will see that it pained him to say, is anybody even going to believe this stuff when I'm coming back? Because he knew it was going to be thousands of years, and he knew we were going to be tired, and he knew we were going to be frustrated, and he knew people that professed their love for him were going to give up on him because it didn't work on their time. He's not going to keep putting you off. He will give you justice. He will give you your blessing if you don't give up. But can you make the determination to answer the Lord's question? Is anybody going to believe this 2,000 years from now? I believe it. And I hope you do too. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to never stop praying. Help us to believe that the words that you say in your book are spirit and life. Help us to believe that they are true when they don't make sense to us. Help us to believe that they are true when our fragile, frail frame wants to give up. God, strengthen us, empower us, fill us with your spirit. Give us a never quit mindset I thank you Jesus that you did not quit on your mission that even through the pain of the prayer that you talked to your father in Gethsemane you pressed your way to the cross and you did not quit you gladly endured the suffering of the cross because that was your process Help us to endure whatever our process is and wherever it takes us. But I'm asking you, God, tonight to help us to never quit. Help us to not quit praying. Help us to believe. Help us to have faith when you return. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.